Good afternoon to everybody. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. My name is Evan. Uh, I'm not a mother, uh, but I have one. She's actually here. She's at the very back. Look at that. She's taking a, a picture of me to put on Facebook. That's a, that's a mom for you. Hey, if you are a mother, go ahead and stand up if you can for us. Uh, go ahead. If you're a mom. If you're a mom. Yeah, I know there's more than that. All right. All right. Got five. I know. All right. Hey, can we, let's say a special prayer. I know we've already prayed. But I'd, I'd like to just bless you again uh, before we get into the message because the message actually is not about mothers. So <laughs> this is the time. You get this moment. All right. That's all you get pretty much. But let's, uh, let's bow our heads. And if you're around a mom, if you want to just put your hand on their shoulder and if you're nearby, just kind of throw a, throw the spirit at them or something. Okay. Let's just, yeah, don't, don't strangle them. No, this is not the time for that. Okay, order, order. Okay, let's pray for them. Father God, we give you thanks for uh, the mothers in our pre- pre- presence and the mothers in our lives. God, I pray uh, just to give you thanks for their sacrifices. We give you thanks for their time, for their energy, for everything that they've poured uh, into the lives of their children. We thank you for those mothers, especially who have served in the church, who have been spiritual mothers uh, and sisters and and, uh, aunties to many of us. So we thank you. We pray that you will continue to bless them, Lord, that they will see uh, not only a legacy through children, but also a spiritual legacy that they're setting forth. We pray that you will protect them, that you will guard their hearts, that you will constantly remind them of their identity first in Jesus, that they are daughters of the living God first and above all, but that their role and vocation as mother is certainly blessed. So we pray that you'll bless them this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in a family series. I don't particularly like the photo. My wife's like, we're not doing that with our children. <laughs> These people headbutting each other, and they're actually fighting over the child. This is my child. No. Um, we're in a family series, and uh, if you were here last week, you were treated to two sermons in one from Pastor Tony. Uh, I'm ambitious. I'm doing three in one, so buckle up. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to try to cut this down. I realized all week I've been messaging with Tony. I'm like, man, we might have to cut this into two. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't, we'll see. And he's like, all right, man, I'll be waiting on standby. Jeremiah randomly messages me, and, and now all of a sudden it's like, we should pray for Evan. I'm like, you must all be really worried about what's about to happen right now. Uh, but I guarantee it is good. It is scriptural. It is theological. Uh, <laughs> I guarantee it. Last week, Pastor Tony introduced us, before we can even get into the whole idea of a family, we need to understand our roles, our gender roles, our God-given, like, what is a man, what is a woman? So let's do a little test for those who were here. What do we remember about the role of a man? Your job as a man is to flourish. Flourish yourself, or (laughs) I'm just kidding. Flourish everything around you, right? Wherever a man steps foot, he should flourish it. We see this in Genesis when God created the very first man in his image. And he's like, look, I'm going to place you here in this beautiful place. I I want you to take care of all of creation. I want you to be attentive to my beautiful creation. Mankind is his chief creation, of course, and womankind. But he's like, I want you to take care of all things. Now, how about for women? Then he creates a woman out of man. He creates woman and... What is a woman's role? Help. <laughs> help. You need help? It's helper. Helper. I know that sounds like that's lame. No, it's not. Because God himself calls himself the helper of man throughout scripture. It is somebody, it's this portrait of somebody who comes along who is actually a little more capable. Than, <laughs> if you think about it, if you're in need of help, obviously you're not as capable as, you know, by yourself. You need somebody else to come alongside you. It's kind of like this. If a young boy in my neighborhood were to break his bike... And uh, it's his responsibility to fix his bike. His dad's going to be mad. And he's like, oh, can you help me? I, as an adult, would stoop down and I would, what? I'd say, nice bike, sucker. No, I would, <laughs> I would help him, right? It's not my responsibility, but I would help him because I know I'm capable of that. And in the same way, a woman comes alongside a man and says, you need some help. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to walk this life with you. And the man is to lead and say, okay, here's where we're going to go. And she's like, all right, let's see it, right? So, it is this beautiful portrait of manhood and womanhood. It's not men, it is not how far you can spit or pee or how much you can curse or drink. It's are you able to take care of your stuff and not only that, but flourish it, right? And for ladies, are you able to help these hard-headed men? In Genesis 1 through 3, we also see not only just God creating man and woman, he puts them in this special relationship. 
It's this covenant relationship called marriage. Everybody say covenant with me. Covenant. What is a covenant? It is basically a promise. It is this symbiotic relationship, this sacrificial uh, relationship at times, but it is unbroken. It is this promise to a man and, uh, from a man to a woman and a woman to a man that I will stick with you no matter what because it is a reflection of God himself who says, I will stick with you no matter what. And he puts them together in this loving relationship. We see that it is, he ordains the first marriage, one man, one woman. They have all things in common. They're walking around naked in a garden. When's the last time you walked around naked with other people? Yeah, not often, right. <laughs> I hope. I don't know. I don't know what you do after you leave these doors, but um, that's between you and God and those other people. But for the most part, we don't really do that. It requires a lot of trust, a lot of vulnerability, and it requires, a, well, no fear or shame. That's what the original first marriage had. And it was a three-way relationship between God, man, and woman. It's a beautiful thing. But if you were to flip over to Genesis 3, you'd find sin entering into the world. We found that man, who's tasked with, hey, there's one thing that you can't do. Okay, don't eat from this tree. And what does man do? Okay, beep, he pushes the button. All right, don't push the button, push the button. And suddenly everything goes haywire. Now, do you remember who man blamed for sin entering into the world when God said, hey, what did you do? Why did you push the button? Do you, do you recall who man blamed? Woman, right? He turns around and he blames woman. Who else did he blame? God. You're right. He blames God. He says, the woman that you gave me. Now, instantly, what that introduces into the marriage is a rift in that relationship between man and woman. Now there's tension introduced. Now there's insecurity introduced. Now there's the lack of trust, the lack of, there's now vulnerability is like, whoa. And not only that, but it creates this rift between God and man. Okay, so we see that right in the first three chapters of Genesis. We're going to get into Exodus and I'll work my way to Revelation. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that, but we are going to see what that means for marriage because over the years, marriage had deteriorated into, well, I, I'm, I need marriage, I guess, for sustainability. I need marriage for this. I need marriage for that. And it becomes almost a selfish desire at times where you're just looking to extract what the other person can give you, but that's not what the original intent of marriage was. It was, what can I give this other person? That's a covenant relationship that God had originally ordained. We flash forward in this story to the book of Matthew, where we're going to be spending quite a bit of time. If you were to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 3. And what we find is Jesus, Jesus in the middle of teaching, and these Pharisees or religious teachers walk up to him. And they're asking about marriage. And we're going to see through this passage in Matthew chapter 19, I'll give you a moment. We're going to discover the intent of marriage, the vocation of singleness. I call it a vocation because your goal in life is not to be married or single. It's just simply something like a job that you do or you put on. Same as being a father or a mother. For those of you who are mothers, your main job is not to be a mother. It's actually just to pursue God <laughs> in all things. And finally, the portrait of marriage redeemed. I will, I will sort of briefly, as, as much as possible, because we have a lot of material to cover, go through that. Matthew chapter 19, verses uh, 3, and we'll just go on from there. Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Have you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother to be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. If we can just pause and pray over this scripture. Father God, we thank you for the covenant that you've given us, that you've sealed by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for marriage. We thank you for our single lives and for our married lives and for these vocations that we may demonstrate this great love through loving one another. We pray that you'll open up our eyes as we seek through uh, these truths in your scripture, and that we're able to implement them into our single lives and into our married lives, starting today, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Going back to verse 3, we see that these religious teachers are walking up, and what they're doing and what they typically like to do was try to trap Jesus into one box or another. In this particular case, there were two schools of thought when it came to marriage. One was very conservative and said, well, you can only really get divorced or, you know, you can stay together, but here's the circumstances in which case divorce was okay. And then there was a very liberal crowd that said, well, you can kind of hot swap wives, whatever. It doesn't really matter as long as, you know, if she, if she burns the food or you have some sort of reason to divorce, go ahead and do it and you could just pick up another marriage like that. Boom, done, easy. And so they're trying to trap Jesus and say, so what school of thought are you, Jesus? And so often what Jesus does, what I love about it, is he trolls them. And he's like, you want to know A or B? Uh, so I'm actually more like green. And they're like, well, that's not even, what the heck? This is not even a category. And he brings this up and says, have you not read, you silly men, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a, male, uh, a man shall leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. As an anecdote, I'd like to say from the very beginning that marriage is for male and female. Now, I know in this context, Jesus wasn't emphasizing that because of homosexual marriage. There, it wasn't really a concept then, but we do see that today. And you may come across even other Christians who say, well, a homosexual marriage, that's still a real marriage. Uh, they are wrong and rooted in bad theology. We see here that Jesus refers to the very beginning, and he affirms this, that it is between one man and one woman. That does not mean that there is no economy at all for people with homosexual feelings to come to God. You can certainly come to Christ, and we're going to talk about that and what that might look like for a celibate uh, a gay person in a little bit. But I know right off the bat that you may come across this, and uh, this is a scripture that you can pull up to show with others, especially other churches. I do not know why. They, they ordain it, and they say, okay, well, we'll marry two people that are of the same sex. We do not hear. We will not hear. I would like to put that out there just uh, right at the beginning because that is what we see. Now, these men weren't as uh, concerned with homosexual marriage as much as, how do I get out of my current marriage? If you think that's kind of strange, and you're like, well, this is way back in the day. Why are we talking about divorce? Have you looked at the statistics in this country of divorce? Yes. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Just Google, Google uh, tell me, uh, Siri. Uh, it's almost 50%. Almost half. Imagine this side of the room was married, the whole room was married, this side would all split. That's a lot of people. Some of you may know this. I came from a, uh, uh, my mother and father had split. I know firsthand. It is very tough. And that was not God's intent from the very beginning. It was a covenant relationship. So these men want to know, how do I get out of it? Because I kind of like this girl more. I would like to add one other part of context to this, that marriages back in this day were also largely uh, arranged marriages. So imagine your mom or dad picked for you, and you get into the bedroom that night after saying all these covenant vows, and you lift the veil, and you're like, unibrow, shoot, I lost. Shoot. Oh, she got some hairy arms. Oh, okay, what are we going to do? Oh. She got, oh, she got a mustache too. Oh, no, how do I get out of this? So you can imagine these men coming in and saying, huh, you got to think of something. How do I get out of this? She burned my pita. She burned the pita. She made the hummus sour. That's it. That's it. Amen. I could find something in Scripture maybe. Okay, many of these, not all, there were people who still married out of love, but many were arranged marriages and so you can see quite quickly how they may want to get out of that. Anyway, so what does Jesus say? He says, in the beginning, they made the male and female. For this reason, a man must leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Not two individuals that just live together. Not two individuals who merely trade goods and he provides money and she provides sex. This is so much deeper, this statement, to say that two shall become one flesh. That is to say that, yes, you share your physical body with this person. You bear all to this person, but you're also giving them all of your mind, all of your spirit, all of your love. There is a, a degree of trust and vulnerability in this covenant relationship. That no matter what happens, even from my family of origin, who I'm leaving the protection of, I'm going to trust that you will take care of me and I will take care of you. It is a deep, 
deep trust. And we see that it's God-ordained. Jesus says in his commentary, verse 6, that they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. This is something that is ordained of God. This is still a three-way relationship. Your marriage should be built out of who God is, not out of necessarily one another. You seek God first in this relationship. He has his hand on this very covenant. And so you can see why Jesus and God is so upset when these things are ripped apart for various reasons. Why then, verse 7, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife to a certificate of divorce and send her away? They're reaching into Deuteronomy 24 where you'll find that there are various means by which a man can be divorced from his woman. Once again, Jesus fires back this. He's like, yeah, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of your hard hearts. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, that is, if she cheats on him, or vice versa, if he cheats on her and decides to break that covenant before you and marries another woman commits adultery. Look at this one more time because we're about to have our minds blown and you'll see why the disciples react the way they do. Look at verse 9 one more time with me. I tell you, we're going to skip over the exception clause. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, adultery was always just thought of as a sexual thing. That if I go and get naked and have sex with some other woman, then I've committed adultery. But in my mind and in my heart, oh, I can look around and fantasize about being with thousands of women. In the same way that many men may look at pornography today, for example, well, yeah, I have my wife, but you know, I'm not really doing it with this girl. She's digital. And Jesus actually says, ah, he expands this notion of what adultery really is. He said, no, it's not just about your genitalia. It's actually about where your heart is and where your mind is. You are completely in the wrong here. You've already committed adultery and broken your end of the covenant, which says, I love you and want to give you all of me, and I want all of you. So now these men are going crazy. That's what it means to be married, that it is no matter what, like all of your desire and all of your passion is poured into this person. I can't even look to the right or the left. It's just, just her and I for life. That's it? That's what you want? Yes. And so what do the disciples say next? The disciples said to him, well, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, then, you know, maybe it's better not to marry. Now, this would have been crazy to say. Hi, Kat. This would have been, <laughs> I'm very friendly today. This would have been crazy to say. You know why? Because this was a very traditional culture, and the expectation is to marry. Probably many of you, your moms and dads, are like, well, when you, get up and get when you grow up and get married, am I wrong? It's an expectation. It's sort of a cultural expectation. For a woman especially, it was, well, you're going to be defined based on who your husband is. Your identity is in your husband. He's the breadwinner. He will protect you. For a man, it was almost like a trophy sort of thing where it was like, oh, she's pretty, she can cook, she can sing, she's so delightful, etc., etc. So if this is the situation, that it has more to do with this, we're done. <laughs> There's no way I can do that. You've just complete. I thought it was just as long as I keep my clothes on, we good. No. He's like, no, it's a promise that you will give all of who you are to that person. So they say, well, maybe we just don't get married. How about that? And what does Jesus say? This is where we will start to talk about singleness. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Jesus is slapping the face that everybody is, you're right, maybe you shouldn't get married. <laughs> what is a eunuch? I know, that's your first question, like, that's awesome. What's a eunuch? <laughs> if you watch Game of Thrones, you'll know. 
Uh, <laughs> a eunuch uh, is somebody who basically does not have reproductive organs. Generally, it was a man. Uh, not always, because there are genetic defects, as we know. And that's what Jesus calls out here. Hey, there is a genetic defect. There are some people who cannot reproduce. They do not have the right organs, or maybe there is a defect in it. There are some, and this is generally men, who would go into politics and would be made eunuchs by other men. What does that mean? <laughs> well, if you want to apply for a certain job, uh, like let's say to be a bodyguard of a queen who's very beautiful, well, the requirements are that you kind of drop trowel and allow them to, yeah. <laughs> if that's the route that you want to go, I wouldn't choose that career. I'd probably just be a farmer. But then he says this, and there are some eunuchs who choose to live as eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. In other words, they choose not to engage any sexual desires or passions. They choose not to engage in romance with a woman or a man, but instead they choose to devote their entire lives to God and pursuing him and, and his kingdom to serving others, to giving their life, their breath, their energy, their finances, their time to serve the entire family of God. And he says it as if it's a gift. He says, let, let those who can accept it, accept it. I can't accept it. Well, then get married. And you stay with her. You stay with him. I think Paul can kind of help us out here. If we were to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to glance through a few different passages where Paul talks about this idea of a singleness as a gift. So now we're moving into, bless you, we're moving into the vocation of singleness. And then we'll come back to marriage, so don't worry. And for both singles and marrieds in this section, I do have a few questions for you, a few things that you may want to note if you're kind of like, oh, she's kind of cute, he's kind of cool, I don't know. Well, these are some good questions that you may want to ask. I know that there are several of you who are engaged. I have some questions for you as well. I expect them answered immediately. Just kidding. <laughs> if you know the, never mind. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, Now for the matters you wrote about. This was a church who was just crazy about sex. Okay, they, before they had, they had received the gospel of Jesus, they didn't know anything. They would just go to orgies, which were people in big rooms just having sex together. They would have sex with with men with men, men with women, women with women, men with boys. This was a thing. It was crazy. So they were writing and saying, hey, so ethically, now that we sort of know the, the gospel, what do we do? What are we going to do now? Paul, we kind of know about this covenant relationship, so do we just not get married and we forbid marriage? I have four wives. What do I do, Paul? Like all these crazy things that can come up. And Paul said, okay, well, let me say this. For the matters you wrote about, verse 1, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality, that's sex outside of marriage, is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his body, but yields it to his wife. Skip down to verse 7. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, and the other has that. What does that mean? I wish that you were as I am. As far as we know, from the time of this writing, Paul was unmarried. Was he married previously? Maybe, maybe not. We do not know. But we know that he was unmarried at this time and the time that he came to Christ. And he calls this singleness, this single life, actually a gift. It's actually a gift to be single. Now, raise your hand if you are not married. Okay, right now you have a gift. I do not know if that is a lifelong gift or if that is just a gift for a season. But if you are single, you do have a gift. You have the gift of time. You have the gift of energy. I know, the gift of energy? Have some kids, trust me. <laughs> I'm tired, okay? I know I look old. I know I'm white, but uh, I'm still quite young. <laughs> I'm just tired. When you are married, you are constantly taking care of your wife or husband. If the other party is sick, you're there spoon-feeding them, you're there escorting them to the bathroom, you're there in Cambodia holding their hand as they are, uh, never mind, I won't get into that, a lot of you know the story, I almost died. 
Uh, but my wife was there by my side, and I'm sure she would rather not have been in that bathroom. There are trials. There's death of a spouse at times, and that's heartbreaking. Now, Paul wrote during this time knowing, hey, there's going to be a lot of persecution coming, especially to Christians in the church. They're going to snatch away your, your husband or wife, torture them in front of you, and kill them. Do you want to go through that? Instead, take this gift. Now, I'll explain. He does say, hey, if you want to get married, get married, of course. But I'm just saying, everybody, accept this gift if you can. Because you have, listen, let me give you an example. Here, let me ask you a question first. How long, let's say you get up in the morning, you have your breakfast, you brush your teeth, or vice versa, however you do it, and you're in your pajamas and you get a call from your friend. And they say, hey, you got to get down here. This is a really cool event. Can you come right now? And you say, yeah, I'm on it. And you hang up. From the time that you hang up, how long does it take you to get in your car? Just shout out some numbers. Three minutes, five minutes. I got five. Five over here, three over here, three over here, three. Okay. 60 minutes? Okay. Why? <laughs> Okay, three, I'm getting between, let's just say an average of four minutes. Okay. I am married with two and one on the way. How long do you think, and some parents here are like, yep, how long, and they're four and two years old, okay? How long do you think it takes me <laughs> to get into my car successfully with everything that I need for that day? Yeah, probably about, <laughs> almost, almost. On a good day, about an hour 45 minutes to an hour from the moment we decide, let's go <laughs> in an hour. You have no idea what gift you have. I was just visiting my uh, sister up in uh, San Luis Obispo, is going to, um, going to uh, uh, college up there. And it was just her and I, and I stayed with her, and the next morning she's like, oh, I know a great breakfast place. And she goes and changes and comes back, and she's like, let's get going. And I'm like, yes, let us go. And I felt, it was like, where's all of my responsibility? <laughs> I don't have to bring it. It was beautiful. It was amazing. Now, I'm not saying I don't love having children and a wife. I do. Obviously. Obviously. I wouldn't go through all of that if it wasn't worth it. And keep making more children. <laughs> okay, it's worth it. It's not only fun making them. It is, it's beautiful. Okay. But that's to say, as Paul says, if you were to flip over to verse 32, he says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned with the Lord's affairs. How her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. In other words, I'm not saying don't get married. I'm just saying so that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, Paul, again, he says several times through this chapter, he's like, look, if you just are burning, and he means like, you know, like you're like, ah, I, got, I got to do it with, I like her. Okay, just get married. It's better than breaking the covenant and saying, you know, I'm not, she's not mine, but I'm still going to do it. Okay, it's best to just get married. My wife and I got married quite quickly. Uh, <laughs> we were about 22 years old. We were still in college. Yeah, I know, you're, you're like, whoa, my parents would kill me, right? And uh, her, I, I remember her mother saying, like, just wait, you know, just like maybe five years, you know, get, get some experience in life and make money, get a house. And finally, my wife just said, like, we want to have sex, man. And she was like, Oh, <laughs> right. She's just okay. Just do whatever you want, right? So it's much better, just as a protection, just just to be married and stay in that relationship. But if you can, if you can accept this gift of singleness, accept it. For some of you, it it may be lifelong. God may be calling you to a very specific thing that He needs you to accomplish in this world. And that's, that's awesome. You get to team with God, and he will equip you. I mentioned homosexuals and those with homosexual desires. Now, sex outside of marriage is sexual immorality. So homosexual sex is, well, that's sexual immorality. 
So if you are sitting here today or you know somebody who is struggling with those feelings or they're like, I just, I'm attracted to men or I'm attracted to women. I guess, I guess I can't be with Jesus. I guess God doesn't love me. No, he still does. He loves you so much that he wants to be with you. He wants to fulfill all of your desires. He wants to take you on a journey. Will you trust that? Will you accept that gift? And you know from many cultures, if you don't accept a gift, it's an insult to the gift giver, right? You ever try to give somebody something? Like, ah, no. You're like, it's a gift. So here are my questions for you singles. What are you doing with your singleness? Well, you know, we're engaged. No, you're not, you're not married yet. What are you doing with your time as a single follower of God? Are you playing video games as the world burns? Are you loving your neighbor? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Are you fully devoted to God? Or are you, are you still have concerns with other things? Are you preoccupied with yourself? What are you doing with your singleness? We have VBS coming up. We have missions coming up. There are many people who are in need of discipling and counseling and use of our other vocational skills that we can bless. There are neighbors around us who are in need of a blessing. What are you doing with your singleness? What will you do with this time? You don't know if Mr. Wright or Ms. Wright is going to come your way quite yet. So what are you doing in that singleness? Secondly, are you honoring your covenant with God sexually? I cannot speak about 1 Corinthians 7 without speaking to that. Again, it's a covenant. When two people come together in, in the marriage bed, when they have sexual intercourse, it is more than just, it's just the mechanical genitalia going together. Yes, biologically that's what's happening, but there is something deep beneath that. Just like with all of our actions, there's something going on Deep down, there is this love, there is this commitment. And when you are jumping around and having sex from person to person, you're making and breaking commitments like that left and right. You're saying, I will be one with you, I will commit to you. And then the next day you leave and act as if you've never seen that person in your life. You look at pornography on the internet and say, oh, well, this guy or this girl, she's pretty hot. She'll fulfill my desires for a moment. And I owe nothing to her. You're worshiping false gods. You're making covenants and breaking them. And God is especially angry with that because he is a God that keeps his promises. He is a God that keeps his covenants. And you are a reflection of him. So why are you making God look in a funhouse mirror every time? That's not what I look like. Now, God knows what he looks like, obviously. But we mock him. We say, you know, this person... I'm just going to extract things from them, and that's it. I got my pleasure. I got my kicks. Goodbye. That's not real love, and real love is what our God wants. Real love in a marital relationship says, I will give and give and give without expecting anything in return. That's a covenant relationship. That's what we see God doing with Abraham back in Genesis. If you remember, God made a covenant with Abraham, and he's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to slaughter this animal. I'm going to walk in between it. That was like their handshake. It's kind of, you know, cumbersome. But that's what they did. Slaughtered an animal. God walks through it. He's like, there's my end of the covenant. By the way, go to sleep. I'm just going to walk for you because you're not going to be able to keep this up. God keeps his covenants. So how are you doing with that? Are you burning with desire? Are you who are engaged? Ooh. How are you doing with that? I remember with my wife and I, it was difficult. It was difficult. It was a few months in, and we're kind of like, you know, it went from like, oh, I love being around you. I love everything about you, to I remember my wife getting up. Once. Is she in the room? Is she here? I'm sorry. Hi. I asked if I could talk about this. Okay. And I remember her getting up and leaving the room. She's like, I hate you. And I'm like, okay, this girl crazy. I don't know. Why she just get up and, like, hate me? And she's like, no, you don't understand. Like, and then, like, a month later, I'm like, mm, I, mm, I hate you. We got to get married. <laughs> Quick because things are going to happen. So, 
what I'm saying is, if you're engaged and you just can't wait, why don't you just come next weekend and we'll just marry you? Like it's no, I'm serious. What, what is the difference? You can have the big banquet and spend 40 grand if you want, but I mean, <laughs> you could still do that and honor your parents, but hey, it's just an idea. <laughs> if, you're bor- if you're burning, I'm just saying, come on over. Pastor Tony will do that, actually. I can't. Uh, so, Tony, I'm just giving him more work. I'm sorry. He's like, we didn't talk about that before, bro. But for those who can accept the gift of singleness, accept it. I remember I had, uh, as, as a teenager, overcome uh, pornography. And uh, I just, by the grace of God, I just, I remember praying. I threw it all out. I'm like, no, I want, I want a mind just towards you. Give me your word. Give me you. I want to make a covenant with you, God. I want to make a promise to be faithful and loyal and pure for you. Only you. I failed millions of times, of course. But it was a big step. And I remember all of my teenage boyfriends were coming around and they're like, like, dude, wow, you were able to like overcome that. Wow. How how long has it been since you viewed porn? I was like, oh, two, three years. They're like, oh my gosh, you have the gift of celibacy. And I'm like, the gift of celibacy? And they're like, yeah, it means that you could go your whole life and never get married and have sex. I'm like, what? <laughs> to me, it was just ludicrous at the time. I'm like, what, was God giving out gifts? Like, here's tongues, here's prophecy, and uh, shoot, you know what? Uh, celibacy. I don't got that. No! <laughs> we see plenty of examples of people who have lived this out. Look at Paul himself. He lived this out. He's like, no. And he's reached, he's, I, I believe he's slated, he's like New York Times or Times or somebody put out a, a poll of the top five most influential people in the world. Paul, the Apostle Paul is like number two or three, like touching the lives of people who aren't even Christians because of his writings, because of his work with people. But guess who else remained single his entire life? Jesus. Are you going to say, well, you know, Jesus doesn't understand. This is too hard. No. He was surrounded by a lot of beautiful women all the time who loved him, who adored him, who bought him gifts, who paid for his meals. He's around prostitutes. Think about it. You think prostitutes are ugly? Like they, No, they get all dressed up. That's their job. <laughs> kind of. But Jesus said, no, I'm going to remain singularly minded on God. And I'm going to trust in him for a family. All of you. You are his family. Who's my mother? Who are my brothers? I don't have to worry about a legacy or anything like that. He remained only in God. Now, now for those of you who are married, uh, for this section, I just have uh, go fulfill your marital duty, okay? So, I'll let you, uh, yeah, we'll get off of that. Uh, <laughs> so, if you can't get married, just, uh, if you can't help it, just get married. Listen, God knows in advance that what's best for you. If it's best that you remain single your whole life and devoted to him, that's what he'll give you. And we're to accept that. But if he knows there are some in this room that are saying, I don't know if I could really do that. It's hard to concentrate on God. And you need someone to come alongside and slap you upside the head sometimes, i.e. give you a wife or a husband. Well, then you're in luck because that's also a gift in itself. I remember praying as a young man. Uh, I, was about, I was about 18. And I sat down in the grass under a tree on a very nice day. And I said, God, you know, I love you. I want to give you my whole life, but I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I wouldn't mind a partner. I, you know, I, and I remember him speaking <laughs> and saying this, that I will take you as long as you can go and as far as you can go in your journey towards me. And when you can go no further without her, I will send her in at the right time. I met my wife like a month later. <laughs> It was not very long that I went. <laughs> so for some, and Paul even mentions this, 1 Corinthians 7, he also says, hey, it's through a wife that a man can be sanctified. So it's, it is possible that through your spouse that you become more and more like Jesus. So some people just like, like me, like need somebody to journey in this life with. Now what about those who are married? I'm going to get into the last section. I'm going to, I promise, are we doing okay? Do we need an intermission? No, we're good? Okay. This is a portrait of a marriage redeemed. Ephesians 5, 22 and thir- through 33. You could flip there if you'd like or not. Uh, that's okay. I'm going to read it out for you. 
Here is now what a marriage, if you are intending to marry, listen, if you are single and you are here today, here are some things to think about before jumping into marriage. Some of you are dating, some of you are engaged. Think about these things. For those of you who are married, still think about these things and how well you are doing in these things. And then I'll get to some clues as to how you can get there. Okay, this is the practical section of Ephesians. And this is the practical, hopefully, section of the sermon. Wives, marrieds, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit also to their husbands in everything. Okay, 21st century. First thing we're thinking is wives, submit. Mm -mm, I ain't submitting to that guy, (laughs) right? I'm my own woman. I'm, I'm independent. This by no means means that women are below. I got you. <laughs> I see you. This by no means means that women are below men at all. It simply means this, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are to submit to your husband as you do to the Lord. Here's the very first thing I'm going to ask you straight away, women. Do you submit to the Lord? Do you actually come before God? It seems like, well, duh, right? It's right there. Do you actually come before God and and humble yourself and say, God, not my will, but yours? You see, God doesn't ask you anything that Jesus hasn't already done. He's asking you to fill that role that Jesus did when he submitted to the Father. Now, is Jesus not God? Is he lower? No, not at all. He is God, but he's able to humble himself and say, I want to listen. I'm willing to to go with this. So if you're sitting here and you're single today, if you're not quite married yet, okay, I hope on Facebook I don't see like we called it off (laughs) or something like that, or if you're thinking about some guy in your office or maybe even in this church, there's very many handsome strapping gentlemen here, okay, strapping lad, think about these things. Would I be willing to submit to this man? as I do to the Lord. What does that mean about his character? Well, does he submit to the Lord? If you're here and you're a Christian and you're thinking of dating a non-Christian or you're flirting to convert or anything like that and you're thinking, well, you know, he's Christian-ish or he grew up in the church, it's been a while, I'm going to tell you don't marry that person. Do not get involved in a romantic relationship. It will only draw heartbreak. I didn't say this in the last sermon, but I will say it here. Almost every, and Tony, maybe you can confirm this. Almost every time I see this, okay, here's what it is. I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent. I'm sorry. Girl marries a guy, not a Christian, but he's supportive. He will say, oh, no, no, I support you and your faith, and yeah, Jesus is great or whatever, and if you want to go to church, great. You will be coming to church most of your days alone. You will be coming to church and being part of the family of God, but you're going to be so divided, like, well, I really wish that he were, can I just, it's not going to work. Now, gentlemen, listen up. If you are a Christian gentleman standing here today, and you're thinking, well, she's not a Christian, but, she, you know, she, she, she got good morals, and she, I mean, she's hot, you know, and you're thinking it's going to work, I guarantee I see this all the time. Christian guy marries non-Christian girl, goodbye, we won't see you. You're not going to come to church. You're not going to be interested in the things of God. Almost all the time. Men are so much weaker. The ladies will still at least show up. But you're going to have a lot of headache. You're going to have a lot of turmoil and constantly thinking. And you're responsible according to this. By God, you are still responsible to fulfill your role to submit to your non-believing husband who does not know what it's like to submit to God. That leaves you incredibly vulnerable there's going to be trust issues, but I guarantee, I, it's sad to think. I, I thought this as I was writing it. I'm like, I just know. I know that somebody, either in the youth or somebody here, is, is going to make that mistake. Don't let it be you. Please don't let it be you. Why are we afraid to submit? Because we see so much lethargy. We see so much apathy in men. We saw it in Adam. He was standing right next to Eve. He knew the rule, and she's sitting there grabbing the thing and talking to a snake. I mean, that's your first thing. Like, dude, why are you talking to a snake, you know? 
But instead, he's just sitting there. And we see that in men today. Honey, I'm having a really hard day. Uh, Can you cook dinner? I don't like. We see a lot of apathy in men today. And the other thing is tyranny. We see abuse. We've seen it before. We see abuse where men are tyrannical. They do not know what it's like to be under the authority of God. They don't care. They are God. So if they say, woman, you do this. I'm in charge. I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. I have thicker bones than you. Well, if there is no God, then truly, yeah, they have every right to bully around women. And you cannot say that that's immoral. That's just biology. But we know different, that there is a God. And he calls us to humble ourselves. And we see that in the very next passage in uh, verse 25. This makes submitting to your husband so much easier if he's like this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself to her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and to to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. That's a lot. But check out how God through Christ actually reverses the curse. Here's what he tells men. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. You are called to do what Jesus did, to humble yourself, to take off your shirt, to wash her feet with that, to serve her, to love her, and not just that, to make her holy. What does that mean? Holiness means to set apart from everything else. How do we do that? By cleansing her with the washing of the water through the word. That word, the word word, is not the word in Greek that you might think. It is not logos, which is like the word of God. The word became flesh. This is a different word. It's rema. I know I'm losing some of you. You're like, okay, eyes are glazing over. You're going into Greek. Hold on. This word rema means actually like speaking. So men, listen up. Your role is actually this, to speak truth constantly into your wife's life, to remind her constantly of the gospel, to constantly bring her back, to shower her, to saturate. That word baptism means to saturate. That's why when we baptize which is coming up, by the way. We have some baptisms coming up. When we baptize, we dunk you completely under. In the same way that you might dye clothes, it would be completely dunked under and saturated with that dye into every fiber. Does your marriage look like that? Single men, if you are sitting here today, are you prepared to do that? Are you prepared to sacrifice by sitting there and paying attention after a long work day? And paying attention to your wife for the 15, 20 minutes that she needs to just talk? It could be a sacrifice at times because your mind's going to wander. And not only that, but are you willing to continue to introduce Christ into the situation? Married men, are you doing that? How are you doing on that? Ladies, single ladies, this is what you should be looking for in a man. This is what you should be looking for in a man. Now, if he drives a stick shift and has a tattoo, whatever. you That's up to you. Love your wives, not in the way that you think. In the way that God thinks. For single men, I'd, I'd ask this of you. <laughs> Are you able to handle your business? Can you handle your own business? Because if you can't, what makes you think that you can take on a family? Ladies, look for a man who can handle his business. For real, no, that's a thing. It is a thing. It is, is he responsible? Is he walking with God himself? Because if he's not, he's going to lead you down some crazy roads, and you're going to get beat up real fast. And ladies, submission. Are you submitting? Married ladies, are you able to submit? Are you able to forgive? Are you able to allow him to make some dumkopf moves, some dummy moves? I've heard a story of this old woman. At her 50th uh, wedding anniversary, she was asked, what is the secret to such a long marriage? And she said, oh, well, when I first got married, my very first day of marriage, I made a, a mental note that I'll make a list of 10 of his faults that I will forever forgive. And they said, oh, really? So, what's the list? She said, to be honest, I never actually wrote it. 
It's just that every time he made me mad, I would just say, well, thank God for him. That's one of the ten. Now, this woman was able to forgive because she understands forgiveness. You see, marriage only really works in a Christian context because God showed us what a true covenant relationship looked like when he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. That he fulfilled his promise through history, that he shed his blood, that he gave every ounce of his time and energy to be with his bride. If you're a man here today, if you're single, if you're thinking about it, spend time with God. Use your singleness at this time to be with God, to seek him first, to seek his things first. Even if it's like, well, we're engaged, we're going to get married in two, three months, that's fine. Use all the time that you can right now to seek first his kingdom. And ladies, seek that forgiveness. Understand, feel that love of God. Both men and women should understand this, what it looks like to be loved by God, to be cherished, to be adored. It doesn't work the other way. I can't say, well, you know, loving God is like loving your wife. It should be the other way around. Loving your wife, loving your husband should be like being loved by God. And finally, it should look like a dance. This is the last illustration before I close. It should look like a dance. If you have an opportunity, does anybody hear social dance? You don't know? I go like this is together. <laughs> it's not social dancing. Swing, salsa, foxtrot. No, nothing. Okay, I'm speaking weird language up here. It's gift of tongues, sorry. Take a dance class because you learn something very quickly about what the roles of marriage look like. In dance, okay, there's a lead and a follow. Okay, the female typically is the follow. <laughs> okay, so my wife and I first, when we were dating, we, that was our first date, actually, was dancing. And she would have to follow my lead. So she had to submit, if you will, to what I'm guiding her to do. Now, my job is to make her look good and to keep the thing going. Right? I can't stop every five seconds like, uh, and here's a turn. Actually, no, don't do that. That would look dumb, right? It's going to make her look dumb. She's going to trip. We're going to fall. Everybody's going, oh, that's embarrassing. Right? It's going to be bad. And in the same way, if she's like, you want me to turn? I ain't turning. What you doing, bro? I ain't turning right now. Right? It's going to look bad. It's not going to be beautiful. The dance is off. You're offbeat. But a true dance is when she's submitting and saying, okay, I'll go along with this. I trust you. I trust you. And when he says, okay, I trust you. I got you. And I'm going to make you look good. I'm going to make you look beautiful. Because it's the woman who's like doing all the twirl. Nobody care about me standing here doing this. They're looking at her. And that's the role of the man. Lift her up. Make her holy. What is the music? The music is the gospel. Not gospel music necessarily. The Song of Solomon says this, I am my beloved's and he is mine. I am my beloved's and he is mine. It's a portrait of two lovers together saying I'm giving you all of me and you are, I have all of you. And the beautiful thing about the Song of Solomon, the poetry that we have in the Bible, is that it's also about God and his people. That you are mine and I am yours. Let's seek first God and his kingdom in our singleness and our marriages so that we can honor him in whatever vocation he calls us to. Let's pray.